So I go on LinkedIn and I look up Headblade and the guy, the founder is called uh, uh, Todd Green. And I, I messaged him on LinkedIn and said, hey, I, my, I'm the hair club for Men Guy. My contract just ended. We should get together and do some killer commercials, right? And uh, it, it took a little longer than 24 hours, but ultimately I flew out to California, met with him, and I became the Headblade guy. Welcome to another great episode of Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast. Dre, I'm so excited to have Tom Wyman on our podcast today. I want to first thank Tom for his service. He's a military representative, but let me go through his bio. Tom grew up in Connecticut, graduated from Providence College, uh, U.S. Army um, basic training in Fort Dix, Warrant Officer School, Flight School, Advanced Flight Training, he married his high school sweetheart. He actually opened up a flower shop. After doing that, he, he was in a motor home with two kids and traveled all over the place. And now he settled in Florida. So, Tom, thank you for being on the podcast. Well, I yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. First of all, uh, thank you very much. Um, you know, when you had when I when I spoke earlier and you said, "Hey, you should try." You know, you're you're interesting. You we'd love to have you on our podcast. I'm like, I'm not really interesting. I'm I'm just kind of a normal guy. But you know, I'll give you a you know a little backstory um, uh, on how I got to to that to that point because uh, I've always kind of been I don't I wouldn't necessarily entrepreneurial. I never thought that. Uh, just a hard worker, right? Even in uh, even all through high school, I. Um, you know, I, I stopped playing baseball because I had a boss. I worked on a farm that said, whenever you can get here, we can put you to work. So I arranged my schedule. And by noon, I was out of school and, and working on the farm. And by the time I was 16, I was I was wow. running a crew. And um, so that's kind of the roots of, of the work, kind of the work ethic that I had. When I got out of high school, I only applied to one college. I had uh, I had a little tendency to party a little bit in high school and I wanted some, <laughs> mili- I, I had the pull for military just because my dad was in the service. My uncle was in the service. I, I had that. I, I always, those are kind of the jobs that I feel you're called to do, whether it's a firefighter, a preacher, you know, a cop, a uh, military person. And so I had that pull. So I, went, I applied to a military college in Vermont called uh, Norwich university. And uh, I went there my freshman year and quickly realized that I did not like mixing the military and the education part of it. And I uh, transferred to Providence College, as you mentioned in, in my bio, and uh, graduated from Providence. And uh, that's when my kind of military journey started. I, I wanted to be a specifically I wanted to be a helicopter pilot and didn't know anything about the military, the process, the recruiting process. So I went to the I, I assumed Air Force had planes and helicopters. Went to the Air Force, didn't have enough co- uh, chemistry and physics, so I applied to the Navy, and I got accepted as what they call the RIO, Radio Electronics Officer, which, again, at that time, naive kid, didn't know what that meant. I said, well, is that the right seat, the left seat? Am I in charge? Am I flying? And the guy's like, well, no, that's the electronics. I go, well, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to be a pilot. He goes, well, you know, you didn't get accepted as a pilot, and I, and I, and I wanted to fly helicopters. He goes, well, you know kind of the flunkies in flight school get the helicopters. They get them. They didn't choose them. They wanted to fly jets. But he said, the Army's got all the helicopters. I go, oh, really? Okay. You know, took my stack of paperwork, went across the hall. <laughs> and uh, you know, nine, nine months later, I'm, I'm heading off to, as you mentioned, basic training, warrant officer school and, and, and flight school. So 
Um, during flight school is when the army decides like your grad, your class of 26 that are graduating in four months, we need five Blackhawks, three Apaches, one Chinook, whatever. And then they try to match like on a dream sheet you fill out that you say, I'd like to go to Germany because that was my first choice. I want to go to Germany. So just a quick, quick backup on that. During flight school is when I got married. So I literally flew home on a Thursday, rehearsal dinner Friday, married Saturday and flew back to flight school wow. on a Sunday. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, my wife and I newlyweds, we were like, Hey, let's go to Germany, you know? And so when aircraft selection came down, which is, you know, what I just mentioned, uh, it's based on class ranking. I was fortunate enough to be ranked wow. number one in the class. And in my mind, I, I always thought that if I, if I was not going to stay in the military, I would want to, I want to fly and get qualified uh, with the most advanced aircraft and which is not necessarily shoot guns and missiles. It's more of twin rotor, twin engine. That's the most sophisticated helicopter you can fly. You can fly anything else under that. Right. And so with the class, we had one Chinook and I took that Chinook, but it wasn't going to Germany. It was going to Fort Lewis, Washington. And uh, I was like, okay, not really my first choice, but that's where, what, what happened. And, and so, um, but after you graduate, everybody graduates flying Hueys. After you graduate, you go to the advanced courses where you learn how to, you know, do sl- you know, in your particular aircraft, like Chinooks at sling loads and loading and things like that. And um, about two weeks before we were done with our, our advanced course, the Army came down and said, oh, we need another Chinook for your class. And, of course, I had chosen the first one. They went to the second person in the class, and it was a female, and said, she, oh, she jumped on it. And oh! I was going to Germany. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and so for 24 hours, I, you get 24 hours to switch. And I was begging her, come on, please change, please change. And she's yeah. like, no, no, no. Her bags got shipped. And about three days before she was supposed to go over there, her orders got changed to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So uh, just for, from a, a big understanding of the how the Army worked, um, I was one of the first. I was probably the, the third class of Chinook pilots coming right out of flight school because Chinooks traditionally in the army had been where guys that had been there for 20, 30 years went after they'd flown Hueys for a long time. So you get to a unit in my case, you know, there's 30 pilots. Well, there's two of them that are like newbies like us. And so we're kind of, you know, looked down upon a a little bit, you know, but the knowledge base you could gain by being in an organization, you know, people that had been in the service for that long was, was kind of awesome. So, uh, you know, flew around Washington. We, I, I got deployed to uh, Honduras to do what's called medical readiness training exercises, which is like med rats. So the army trains up veterinarians, doctors, and, um, and, uh, dentists. So we would literally fly three Chinooks out in the middle, like over, over banana fields for hours and we'd land and it would be coordinated through the Honduran government where, People had walked with their pig and their cow and they brought their kids. They'd walk for two or three days and we would set up a camp and we, that's how our dentists and doctors learn sure. practice. And um, so I had a great, great experience. And, um, but I, I, I did realize for me personally that um, my ADD or whatever the case may be, I knew I probably wasn't going to, going to stay in it. Just it, in some cases it kind of bred mediocrity. People were doing as little as possible and still get a paycheck. Just, my, my personal experience. But while, uh, while in the service, I tore my ACL. Um, and so the perception to the army was you can't fly right now. You're grounded. Your wings are clipped. So 
if you don't have anything to do, don't do it here, you know? And so that's led to, again, maybe my ADT or whatever the case may be. I had had a friend in college whose brother owned a flower shop and talked about how profitable it was, even though it's a perishable product and there's some other idiosyncrasies about it. And so um, while I was grounded, uh, we looked, my wife and I looked to buy a flower shop with this new, out in Washington state, it's this kind of a, it was a new concept. This is way before flowers okay. were in grocery stores. We, we were going to open a pocket store where, cause it's the, the temperature, average temperature. It's like being in a cooler, uh, you know, outside. So yeah. big, big outdoor displays, flowers and buckets. And, and so I met this guy um, and his, I couldn't afford to buy his flower shop, but here's the one thing that I did was probably one of the best decisions I made. So I decided I was going to open my own, did a business proposal, borrowed money from my sister, my parents, my grandparents, <laughs> Uh, Matt got a credit card, found a location, negotiated as as a nobody to do all my leasehold improvements myself to, to completely gut the wow. building and build the cooler and the shelves and everything. But the biggest thing I did was hired this guy uh, as a consultant. Back then it was $5,000 to help me open my own flower shop. And so he guided me. The biggest thing he did was for the first nine or three months, 90 days, he allowed me to purchase inventory on his oh, credit wow. and wow. so when we opened the doors of that flower shop the trucks backed up i had a fully stocked because normally it's right. you know it's cash on delivery right when you're a new business nobody nobody knows you and anyway that's how i, I got into the flower business <laughs> you know it's so ironic you say it that way because with the last five ten seconds when you said the guy allowed him to use you he allowed you to use his money is that similar from a real estate like he seller finance the start of your business? Would you say it's close to that or it's totally opposite apples and oranges? I was allowed to use his credit, not his, his money. Credit. So okay. it's a little it's a little different. He wasn't an investor mm -hmm. like investing money that I had to pay back. I got that money. The money came, like I mentioned, mm -hmm. from family and friends. And I think I borrowed about forty five thousand dollars back in, in the day. Mm -hmm. But um, no, he, by having his credit and, and uh, I'll tell you, if I was to do it again, because I'm considering opening another business here, crazy. Um, but somebody who's been successful in this, in this, what I'm thinking about doing, I, I actually flew up, met with her in North Carolina, and proposed the same kind of thing. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna go down this path, would you? Could I hire you as a consultant? You can come down here. We can look at the piece of property. We can, you know, go through the process of licensing and, and permitting and all that. And uh, she said, sure. Interesting. So. It's a great concept. I mean, it's smart, right? Use somebody mm -hmm. else's knowledge. Somebody's already been through this to try to help show. Because you know, right. time is money. And if, you, if you can just short right. get the process by a month, three months, five months, it is. that's huge. It is. Yeah, you it's, it's interesting that you know people build industries on creating shortcuts for people. And they, they call them masterminds, things like that. Uh, the added benefit that mm -hmm. you had in that flower shop is the ability to use that person's credit, which gave you you know, another leg up, you know, uh, ahead of the average new business yep. owner. So hearing your story though, Tom, it's fascinating on so many levels. You've led a life just from being in the military to owning a flower shop. Just if you were to stop right there, most people haven't lived, right? Most people, you know, they go work at some corporation for 30 years, they retire, they sit on the porch, they sit on the porch and watch the cars go by, right? So you, just from the military, just that flower shop is a pretty, you know, pretty uh, exciting life. I've, I've always been fascinated with the idea of being a pilot. I've never pursued it. My father-in-law was a pilot. 
um, a, a, a private pilot. Well, he got his private license is what, is what mm-hmm. he had. And his story is pretty fascinating. You know, he, he was a sharecropper, you know, and had, he had, had a long life, you know, and then, and then decided to become a pilot. Just, just that journey alone is pretty fascinating. So pilots have a special place in, 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 in my, in my, uh, my heart, I guess you could say. Going on to become an owner of a business, pretty fascinating. Something else that you do that is really fascinating, and maybe you can give me some advice here, Tom. Living in an RV, right, with two kids. Let me share this quick story, Tom. I want you to tell me what I did wrong. Tell me what I did wrong here, Tom. I decided to have a great weekend with my family. I'm going to get an RV. They're going to love it. We're going to spend the weekend in there, drive out of town to this little campsite. They'll be all excited. So sure enough, pull the RV up. They come. They come home from school. The kids see it. They're excited. My wife is. Ah, I'm not sure, but you know, we'll give it a try. There was maybe a ant, sure. maybe two ants that wasn't infested. Complaining started. Come on, guys, we can do this. Made the trip of three hours out. Got to the campsite. Set everything up. It was, it was a camp kind of resort type place. So there's they had cabins as well. Set everything up, got the food mm-hmm. out, and you know I'm, I'm excited. Come on, guys, it's family time, RV time. The wife and the kids slept in the cabin. What did I do wrong, Tom? <laughs> Listen, Tom, I slept, I slept in that RV by myself those two days, and each night was, glor- was glorious. The wind was blowing through. I thought, how can they miss this? Don't they understand what they're missing? What, what, what am I doing? What did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? <laughs> Well, I think that you, the, the, if there's a fundamental problem, it was, it was probably that you didn't go further uh, away, like and some touristy thing, you know, get get away and, and and in this day and age, who knows? You know, I don't know the age of your kids, and they're missing their friends, or they didn't have internet connectivity, whatever the case may be. I'm I'm talking when I did this, it was you know 1990, okay, okay, ninety one, okay, so. Long time ago, but I'll tell you that the impetus for it, because this is another part of my my journey, was so the flower shop's up and running. I do decide to get out of the military. My wife is running the flower shop, and again, maybe it's the ADD thing. I go out and start selling real estate, start commercially or uh, residentially, moving to commercial, specialize in Section 1031 exchanges, which is a way for investors to and grow without paying taxes on each each transaction, and. Um, but I had this bug. I had this bug to, to be an actor, and uh, it was it was an, an itch that I had to finally scratch. And uh, so we decided that uh, we would go somewhere, and um, not not in Washington State, for me to, to try to scratch this itch. So we put the shop on the market, which is a, if if you've ever sold a business, it's 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 challenging because the perception is you're failing. Why would you sell your business, right? You're failing, right? And it was quite the opposite. We were successful, and that's actually the best time to sell your business, right, when the numbers don't lie. And so, but it took a long time. Uh, it took a while, and I, I was very proud of the fact that, uh, you know, we had hired, we had eight full-time staff and would ramp up for Valentine's Day and Mother's Day, of course. But um, m- meanwhile, I had bought a piece of land and started the, the literally the day I broke ground on my new house, Wow. The shop sold, and wow. uh, and so between the process of selling the shop uh, and building the house, we built the house and we lived in it um, eleven days less than a year when we bought the motorhome and decided I would start to try to scratch that itch. And uh, so 
they we started out in, in December. We had kind of a uh, schedule, initial schedule with the motorhome with two kids, three and six months. And so we kind of raced down just to miss the snow. We kind of raced down to L.A. and then back up to New England where I grew up and spent some time. And the holidays camped out in my parents' backyard. And then we kind of started the journey, worked all the way down to Key West and then kind of back up, zigzagged across the country, all the way back out to, to Washington State. But ultimately decided to settle in Orlando um, because not the pers- the, the misperception is that, you know, Disney and, and Universal Studios are these big hubs for acting and it's not really the case. But but Florida is a good is a good uh, place for working actors to do commercials because commercials get shot here all year round. Uh, and so we landed in uh, in central Florida and I started taking classes and pursued full time acting for about uh, two, wow. almost three years. And realized quickly that I have to have I have to be a responsible father <laughs> <laughs> and provide <laughs> uh, and more stability. And uh, that's when I kind of got into the, the tech world, where I, I still am today. Um, but that but that journey led me to some pretty pretty cool things. I've probably done uh, you know several probably close to a couple thousand commercials. And um, if you really start to dig, if you really dig, uh, one of the, the one of the biggest things I did was um, when I was about 32 years old, I did a hair club for men commercial. So I, I did the commercial down in South Florida. This was back in the day. I don't know if you guys remember way back in the day with Cy Sperlin, which I'm that's not just the president, but I'm also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I did that commercial and the photo that they used of me coming out of the pool and flipping my hair back was like the highest view wow. whatever and it was about two years about two years later my hair really started falling out because it hadn't i had some hair but it, it wasn't uh and i so i called uh called up amy sperlin which was Cy's wife and uh and I said hey can we barter out something and i had a contract on my desk about 24 hours later and i became the hair club for men guy and uh awesome so it's mostly it, most of it's been scrubbed as part of my exit contract. You know, years later, uh, they had to they were required to remove stuff, but you can still find you know stuff on Facebook and other places where my hair club stuff. What happened was though, I, you know, I was mainly just bartering. I, maybe this is the entrepreneurial stuff again. I was just kind of bartering out, um, you know, free hair in essence to do some commercials for them. And then at one point. You know, when it came time to renew my contract, I drove down to Boca uh, and then sat with the new VP of marketing. And I said, this is the demarcation line. I'm either going to be all in or I'm going to stop. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I just went to a, a, a the, the, the world in, in infomercials is small, right? I said, I just went to an interview, an audition for IMS Pet Foods to be the national spokesperson wow. for IMS Pet Foods. And I could hear the casting director, oh, that's the hair club guy, right? So I'm like, okay, so if it, right. either I got to stop or we're right. going to make it worth my while. And so we really, I really leveraged the contract going forward from there. And, and, uh, and then years later, I, uh, this is what you guys will get a kick out of. Um, Probably have something. Years later, I when my when I called him up, I said I'm done wearing hair. I don't want to do this anymore. It's every two weeks. It's three hours in a chair. I'm not doing it. And they're, and they're like, they're like, yeah, we've we've changed direction. We're more Hispanic market. We're younger. We're. I'm like, oh, well, that's fine. That's fine. And so my contract ended. I shaved my head. And my buddy at work and my buddy at work said, Do you have, have you tried this thing called head blade? And I said, No. I've I seen it. 
I've seen that. Yeah, I yeah. see. I've seen it. Right, I My see. brother has it. <laughs> yeah. So, so you'll you'll really like this then. And so, so I go on LinkedIn and I look up Headblade, and the guy, the founder, is called uh, uh, Todd Green. And I in, I messaged him on LinkedIn and said, Hey, I'm I'm the hair club for Men Guy. My contract just ended. We should get together and do some killer commercials, right? And uh, it, it took a little longer than 24 hours, but ultimately I flew out to California, met with him, and I became Check the head blade out. guy. So I'm sure I've seen you before because I remember those commercials. <laughs> I, got paid. I got paid to wear hair. I got paid to shave my head. Yeah. That, and that's not entrepreneurship. I mean, capitalizing the opportunities. <laughs> But you know what? The, the one thing is, Tom, I think you were a little misleading in the beginning. You said, I know. Why do you want to hear from me? I'm not interesting. Wait, you're the hair clockwork men guy. Yeah. Yeah. Smiling. Yeah. He graduated top of his class. What yeah. I become? Number one, what I become a, a Chinook pilot. Uh, went on to open his own flower shop. While it was profitable, he sold it. Went on to uh, to seize the opportunity to do work for hair club for men. He got tired of that and said, "Listen, man, I'll shave my head if you pay me." <laughs> That's interesting. Hold up. Hold up. The best part is Dre. Imagine, let me buy something from you, but I want to use not no your credit, money, no but credit. your credit, Dre. This is a, master, this is, this is a mastermind. Tell me, you have a book, well. Tom. Tell me, you have a book. I don't have a book. I don't have a book. Uh, so many people have asked, people have said I should write a book, but I haven't. I haven't written a book yet. And and, and, and so fast forward, uh, that was about a five year deal. And Todd, uh, unfortunately, passed. Uh, the founder passed, and um, the company got sold to a, a salon company. They're still doing some 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 um, promotion on Instagram and and you know, some of the social media places, but, and I, and I think you can still find some of my stuff. If you were just to log in and, and Google on YouTube hair club for men or, or a head blade videos, you'd, you'd probably still see some of my stuff out there. I'm but, sure. Um, that one I didn't make them rub, but I, I had to, I had the, the hair club stuff is all. Been yeah. I'm scrubbed. sure the head blade, I'm sure I've is, seen you before. Cause I remember when it came out, I believe he started kind of small. And then whatever I was watching kind of tracked how he had to get a warehouse, uh, you know, the, the hair, the hair blade guy he had to get a warehouse and that sort of thing. And it grew and grew and grew. I was just fascinated about the, 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 the business, the entrepreneurship behind it. So I'm sure I've seen you in some yeah. commercial or something. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, he was, uh, Todd was a very interesting guy, uh, an entrepreneur and, um, you know, he was a he was a one man show. He, he had a few employees for fulfillment and stuff like that. But he flew to China. He negotiated the molding and the and the product, and uh, he, he he did everything. And it, and it was which was actually kind of challenging sometimes because in this day and age, even back not even back you know five years ago, the, how long content lasts is like you know twenty four hours or a week, right? Yeah. But he would every so I'd go and I, and I had a buddy in, in Orlando, and we just do some different shooting around his house and I, I do some different little testimonials and then he would want to scrutinize it a little bit and it would be delayed, you know, a month, two months before it even got aired. And, 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 and so that was, that was, that part was a challenge, but we, we had worked through it. And then I, in fact, I still have his last voicemail to me um, before he passed, uh, you know, cause yeah. he was checking on me cause I, I'm a, I'm a two time now. 
cancer survivor. So um, congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I just finished. Uh, in fact, I'd like to kind of erase 2023, sure. but uh, we we're we're here in 2024, and I'm feeling better every day. So that's a whole another wow. that's a whole another story. <laughs> One area that you touched on is real estate. So you clearly have this entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial bug, right? And see, it sounds like it was built way back when you were working on the farm, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe it came from, you know, from genes as well. At any rate, you're into real estate as well. Talk to me about what you're doing in real estate. Are you currently doing things in real estate? Is that something you've done in the past? I am, I am not. Um, when I left that world, um, this is way back, you know, way before the Airbnbs and the, I think you had someone on that does the hack, yeah, the house hack yeah. that you had on, way yeah. before any of that kind of any of that kind of stuff. And, and so my brother's a big big time in the in the real estate world. I mean, very very high level for on with with okay. on his own stuff. So I, I uh, you know raising the kids, doing other stuff, you know, managing properties is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, especially the way the laws are written in certain states that, you know, they're obviously designed to protect the tenants, uh, which is fine. Uh, and I, it just, it, it lost its appeal to me in terms of uh, wanting, wanting to do that. It's a great mechanism for gaining wealth. I, I will never disagree with that long-term as long as you don't need to be liquid. Uh, but I just never, you know, pursued it. I got caught up in the tech world and, and have stayed, uh, one of, one of the things, I don't know if you know the term individual contributor, what that means in the sales world, individual contributor means you don't manage people. And I made a promise to my wife and, and when the kids were younger that I'm never going to miss the soccer, the paint, piano, the dance. I'm never going to miss a thing. And and really the only way you can do that is to, even even as your career path in a sales environment, is stay an individual contributor. And uh, even though I think, uh, in fact, I have people that call me as their life coach uh, and I have, a, I think I have the skill sets to, to, you know, to help people, guide people, uh, train people, mentor people. Um, professionally, I've, like I said, I, I, I had stayed um, for most of my career an individual contributor. So, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, I have friends that are C-level guys that, uh, you know, second marriage, you know, kids they don't know to, you know, and, you know, yeah, successful career pathing, but uh one comment to that real quick. You mentioned you have a bunch of friends who are C-level guys, second marriage. There was a Forbes um, special series, I don't know, about 10 years back. And it showcased the top you know, uh, executives across a, a number of different co companies and different industries. And I was just curious. I went through the list and it gives a little brief bio. I'd say, if I were to guess, 85% of them had been on their second or third marriage. They were at the top of their game, right? And all of them had sacrificed their marriages. So what you're saying about, you know, setting family first and all that, that's that's a good priority to have if you really value that over the success. Well, I say, you know, I'm going on uh, this year will be 39 years Congrats. married and uh, 40, wow. 44 together. Right. And uh, and to the same person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you gotta say that nowadays. That's a blessing. <laughs> There's a lot of people that have been right, married right. for forty years. So, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I 
I read something a while ago, and, and when I was a, a young man in my 20s, I, I, I think all 20 years old, or most, most of them, the question was, you can only have one of the two. Would you rather have the best career for the rest of your life or the best wife, soulmate, partner, or whomever? And at that age, I was like, man, I need some money. I want the best career. But as you got older, as I got older, and then the article said, as men become a little more mature, 35, 40, they switch. They're like, you know what? They would rather have that best partner for the rest of their life instead of that job or that career. But it's just how we evolve and how prioritization changes and to be with someone that you want to be with for, and wants to be with you for such a long period of time. That's the blessing right there. That's the success. The mm -hmm. true measure, I would think, of success. So, I went, you know, I went, I lived through that era where the, of the dinks, which is coming, kind of coming back now, you know, the mm -hmm. full income, no mm -hmm. kids era. And I, I, I actually really, uh, I don't like what I see happening in terms of um, people choosing not to have children. I think it's just the most rewarding thing you could possibly do in your, in your life. And, and that's probably the reason that we, we are here is to replace <laughs> ourselves. Um, and then, you know, and, and now I see, so, so full disclosure, uh, my last, my third child, my last son is getting married next right. Saturday. Uh, Congratulations. I have, um, I have three granddaughters now. So uh, I have three kids and then three granddaughters. But, you know, as so the dinks was kind of a thing back back then. And I, and I see the, the trend of, uh, you know, I, I, as, I'm 61. And, and in, in the last year, I've lost two friends uh, that were 61 and 63. And um, the outpouring of love and support and family and and core friendships i mean three or four hundred people at a, at a at a funeral says a lot about somebody um so yeah i, I think you know I've, I've i've always chose to be in fact I, I used to read my kids this this poem about uh you know my promise to my children and it's just you know i'm going to be a bloodhound i'm going to hunt you down i'm going to you know and if you don't say i hate you at least once probably i haven't done my job well enough uh that's because that's because of how much you know you know i love you and and so i think it's very important and i don't know if you guys have children or not i didn't do my yeah. research on that, but uh we do it's extremely yeah. rewarding, frustrating, uh, yeah. all in one. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when I look at my adult children and where they are, uh, you know, it brings a lot of joy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you've probably heard this before, Tom, and I'll pass it over to Smiley here. Um, a grand, a grandparent friend of mine was telling me that he said, grandkids are God's way of rewarding parents for not killing their kids. You ever heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> you know. I'll tell you, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 you know, the saying of, you know, I love my grandchildren so much. I wish I had them first is very, right. is very, right. is very, is very true. And it's sad that it, unfortunately, and, and you mentioned the career of the wife, it's sad that, you know, when you're, you're, you're trying to work and, and earn money and all that when your kids are young and most when you should be spending most of your time with them versus you're old and without the kids and now you're making more money and you've retired. It's kind of, yeah. I wish it wasn't like that. I wish, you know, yeah. I wish you could reverse that a little bit, but 
I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily an advocate that more money makes for better, yeah. you know, parenting and, and kids either. So, yeah. So, so you mentioned the arc. If I do the arc of Tom, you mentioned from the farms through the military, helicopters, flowers, real estate. Then you mentioned yeah. technology. How does that? How does that fill into the puzzle? You know, I I often, you know, I I I didn't graduate from college as an engineer, but I have a very engineer brain. Men, you know, the old men from Mars, women are from Venus, and I think it's, you know, part of the testing that you go through to become a pilot, which is, um, you know, the mental acuity and things like that, being able to you know, not panic in emergency situations. And, you know, the, the old saying of run towards a fire like a cop would do versus scream and run and duck under a table. And you, and you look at somebody like Sully who landed that plane on the, on the Hudson. I don't know if you guys have ever get a chance to watch one of his follow-up interviews where he talks for about an hour, literally second by second and what was going through his mind. As a pilot, I know what was happening in that cockpit, right? And the, the way he handled that, I mean you know whether it's god's intervention or what the right person was in the control in control of that of that plane at the right time because not everybody would have been able to res, res, respond to that so i didn't i didn't i'm not necessarily an engineer but that's my brain is very com, compartmentalized so when um when i decided i needed to settle into a real job and uh and i, I continued to do the acting stuff i still do today in fact i have an audition this afternoon but um I, I needed some stability and, and technology and, and wireless was first starting to appear um, way before iPhones or anything like that. So the the I, I had some friends in the construction business that were using this little beep beep yeah. thing called Nextel. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you it's guys like walking talking. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, I went to work for Nextel, and that's kind of so where my wireless career started. Um, Nextel eventually got bought or merged with Sprint. Um, did some very cool stuff with Nextel, but then it moved, moved to Sprint. I moved to um, AT&T, staying on the wireless side, wireless, like the business side of it for businesses and consumers. And then I moved over to the infrastructure side. So one of the largest um, tower companies. So most of the most of the cell companies don't own the towers. There's tower companies and there's three big ones in the, in the world. One of the biggest ones is American Tower. And I moved over to American Tower uh, on managing all the towers that they owned in Florida and Puerto Rico for AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon. There's also there's a lot of other stuff that goes on towers. It would blow your mind. <laughs> it would really blow your mind if I told you some of the stuff that goes on towers, especially the government stuff. It's uh, kind of creepy. But um, and then I moved over even one one more step to. Um, because I had managed the NASCAR account when I was with Nextel, when American Tower, when I went to American Tower, and we were building out infrastructure uh, in in the racetracks for NASCAR. So it takes it takes a tremendous amount of of technology to handle traffic when there's 150,000 people in one place, right? And so you have to build. You know, it's the old, you know, golf ball through a garden hose thing. You have to build it to, to take that golf ball, you know, one or two or five times a year. It's like in a football stadium, you know, there's only 11 home games, maybe 12 home games that you need that capacity. But the carriers have to spend millions, millions of dollars to build up capacity. It's capacity. Yeah. So it's how many. Yeah. So so radio RF radio frequencies, you know, it's finite. It's a channel. And this is so. 
classic example that you can relate to when you're driving down a highway, you know, and you're talking on your phone and you drop a call, that's because what's happening is there's enough, there's the tower that you're connected to needs to switch to the next one, but there's too many people already on that. So they're waiting for somebody to, to hang up so they can switch you. And if it doesn't happen and then the, the, the switch doesn't happen and you drop your call and that's a capacity related issue because each tower is only it has a finite amount of calls it can handle or traffic data it can handle. And it's the same things in a stadium. So if you're in a, in a stadium or a racetrack, you know, where there's 100,000 people, then the, the normal network that's around that can't can't handle all those people. So you have to literally build a bunch more like there's 278 antennas in Daytona International Speedway alone. Right. Wow. So just to handle that capacity. And then uh, a few years ago, I moved. Um, I had one of the, one of the customers, as I mentioned, there's a lot of customers on our towers. One of the customers uh, is a company called Senate, and they're in this what's it, what's called the, the low power wide area network uh, business. I was very intrigued. It's huge in Europe, coming to the working its way to the U.S. It's kind of like the early stages when Wi-Fi first got announced. You know, this is this is kind of where we are in, in the Laura WAN. It's called low L O R A WAN, which stands for uh, long range wireless area wireless access network wide area network. And so like my water meter, for example, wakes up every three hours and says, here I am, goes, it talks on my network and the company, the water meter company takes that data from our network and sends it right into, in this case, Hillsborough County's billing system. So they don't have to drive trucks anymore. They don't have to do anything. And it's all being wirelessly read. And that, and that battery in that water meter will last because it's such a tiny amount of data will last 10 to 12 years. And so that's the technology I'm, I'm in today. So I do. That's, that's my real job. I, I've never thought about the water meter sitting. That's why I don't see the guy coming to my house anymore looking at the water meter. Yeah, there's a couple of technologies. But, yeah, this is one of them. Yeah. I, I know you guys had asked me. You had asked me about a, a, a pride moment, I think, at one, or in the emails maybe. And if you're going to get to that in a minute, that's fine. But one of the, one of the, one of the biggest things that I thought was kind of cool as i as i mentioned you know that my promise to my children or one of the things in there says i'm going to be your parent not your friend but but um my wife and i always had the belief of you know let's have all the the kids come to our house so we know where our kid is and, and we know where everybody else can kind of control that a little bit and so so for a lot of a lot of my kids friends i you know i i, I became kind of a you know, trusted advisor, kind of a mentor. But one of the biggest, um, uh, I guess, compliments was one of my sons, my middle son's friends, asked me to officiate his wedding. And so I became, wow. I became a preacher to uh, officiate his wedding. And I've done one other since then. But yeah, that was kind of a cool, a cool humbling, uh, you know, request. And, uh, you know, that, that, that he respected me enough to ask me to do that. And, no, Tom, I, I guess we could have started off the interview. If if this interview was perfect, I wouldn't change a thing. But if we only had five minutes, I guess the only thing we we, we could have said is, Tom, what is it you don't do? <laughs> You're like a jack of all trades. Tom was like, you know what? I, I don't know what I'll be doing in the next five years, but it's going to be different than what I'm doing now. And it will always be fresh and exciting and new and fun. Uh 
this, this, is, this has been fascinating. Let, let's, let's do this, Tom, because I don't want, we, we, we have a limited time with you. So let's go into the final four here. Let's go yeah. into the final four. And sure. let's start off with, it was a, a number of questions in our question bank, and I'm trying to think what the best one is to ask you here. Let me ask you this one. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever received? I've ever received. I don't know. I'm pretty glass half full guy. And even if somebody gave me some bad advice, I did have some bad advice on investing in some technology, which was biometric technology to lock computers. Um, and I lost some money. So that's probably overall uh, the, the worst advice I had. But I'm a, I'm a risk taker. And I, I thought it was going to happen. Um, there's when you invest, you're it's it's a different than in being in control. You're you're keeping up the reins to a lot of other people when you invest in a company, especially a, a, not a public company, but it's still a startup or a private company, because uh, you're relying on the leadership and and the winds of of technology that may or may not be happening and how long things take to happen. I'm a I guess it's my ADD or or my you ever heard the term CDO? No. CDO. CDO. But yes. you've heard of OCD. Yes. So CDO is you have OCD bad enough you have to line the letters up alphabetically. <laughs> I like it. Okay. I think I know a lot of right, people right. in the CDO. <laughs> So, you know, so when you do when you do invest in, in that, you know, and you don't have the control of the OCD part of you, um, you take a risk. And I took a risk and it didn't it didn't pan out. All right. So for the second question, what's one thing most people don't know about you that you wish they did know about you? <sighs> um, that I wish they did. Uh... Mm hmm. I think well, most people know I'm a helicopter pilot. I think I think that's cool. Uh, I uh, am a history buff. I think uh, a lot of people don't know that that I really love U.S. Uh, history. You know what? Again, maybe it's because of my military or or the, the, my thought process and what the sac. You know, when I talk about family first and all of this other thing that I've kind of had a general theme here and what. To, to really understand what our founding fathers were facing and what they committed to uh, with their lives and their finances and everything for uh, something that was never done before, right? They were trying to get under the, um, uh, out from underneath this, this um, rule of government from uh, far away, and, but come up with something that had never been, been tried before. So uh, I, I do watch a lot of um, a lot of history stuff, but, but way back, you know, to to the early days through the Civil War, and then you know the World War. I'm watching Band of Brothers right now. You know the World War, and the, that's where you get real. And it's like, I, sadly, I can't imagine a 20 year old kid or an 18 year old kid doing what those guys did in, in you know the 1945s. So we're all you know flying around in a helicopter, airplane, and getting shot at and all that stuff. But yeah, so I, I think a lot of people don't know that I'm a, I'm a U.S. history buff. Okay. What never fails to make you laugh? I was prepared for this one. 
For the audience. What is that? A whoop cushion? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh. oh. <laughs> You're clearly a prankster, Tom. You're clearly a prankster. Am I right? Are you a prankster in the house? Prankster? Oh, yeah, yeah. My whole family. Yeah, yeah. My dad was always very punster. Everything's a pun. In fact, I'm working on my speech for the wedding next week, and it's, you know, puns, and full, you know, full, full of puns. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, my granddaughter, my, my, I put this in my pocket and we went to Winn-Dixie the other day and my granddaughter had, had the button. <laughs> and I'm walking around, I'm walking around Winn-Dixie and she's pushing the button. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. oh. So, so Tom, Tom real, real quick, I'll pass back to Spotty. It's okay. Here's a speech I heard recently on social media. I feel free to borrow from this sure. if you like. So this guy gets up. He says, um, it was the best man at the wedding. He says, um, I'm happy to be here on this, you know, this great day. And I'm, I'm here on behalf of all the friends of ours, Smiley, that weren't able to make it here today. Those friends were Mercedes, Bubbles. He, he, he's, he's naming all these like. Bambi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bambi. Yeah, yeah. They all say hi and they hate they can't be here to celebrate your wonderful day with you. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, as a as a final, final four question, Tom, if if you could shadow any person alive or dead for twenty four hours. Alive or dead? Alive or dead. Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Yep. Why? What 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 he had to to do to hold this country together um, must have been extremely in, internally must have been just a huge battle internally on how how he did it and I would love to I would love to know other than reading books like what, what was what was going actually going through your mind I really love I don't know if you've ever read any of the Bill O'Reilly books but the way he does history books. It's like you're you're there. He describes the smells and the you know and the moisture in the air and all. He just immerses you in in that piece of history and what was going through somebody's mind and you know and you know they're feeling pain and they're bleeding and they're and he and he just yeah. you understand it versus just reading like this happened at this time and he you know, you know this happened at this time. So yeah, I, I think it would be fascinating you know to to just to hear witness and maybe 24 hours wouldn't be enough, but just to, you know, what was really going through your mind. It was when my grandmother, my grandmother, my wife's grandmother lived to a hundred, um, actually like a three days short of a hundred, but it was always fascinating to go talk to her and say, you know, what was, what was it like, you know, what did you do for your 16th birthday? You know, and then have her describe like literally, and then and I would ask a lot because again, I want that immersion. You know, like oh, you know, we would do this, and I would like, well, what was it? Was it dark? Was it light? Oh no, we we were we had gas lamps in our house. Uh, did it smell? Was it musty? You know, and I just asked those. You know, to really kind of you know 
figure out a, a moment in time and what it really meant other than, oh, we just, you know, I had friends over and we opened presents. It was more like, no, I want to, I want to know the entire, like, what were you feeling? You, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So I, I, maybe 24 hours, like I said, maybe 24 hours wouldn't be enough, but it would be nice to, to be in that environment. If, Cause I, you know, something I always do as a kind of a breaker when I'm with new people, um, I just go around the table or whatever we're doing. And, and I say, you can't change anything. You can only observe. Would you go forward in time or would you go back? I go forward. So I go you forward. Go forward. What would you do? So what would I do? I would, uh, when I go forward or back, knowing what I know now, this is a great question, Tom. You got me. Give me a second. <laughs> Maybe it's one of you, should be one of your final fours one day. I don't know. But. Yeah, I like that. I like it. I like, I like it. it. We're, and we're, we're about to we're about to add that to our to our question pool, Tom. I think I would go back only because I feel like well, would I have the same knowledge I have mm -hmm. now? Yeah. Oh yeah. And you'd be there, yeah. but you can't I'd change anything. You can't say anything. You can only observe. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, Tom. I'll go back. I'll go back. I'll go back. You go back. I'll, All right. I'll now, the second question, second part is how far? Like, how far would you go forward, Smiley? I would go 150 years because okay. I want to see my great, great, great grandkids. Okay. Great. How far back would you go? I would go back to when my, to my father's father, because my father's father died when he was like, Okay. So I never knew him and my dad never knew him, but I have so many questions about who he was and how who he was impacts who I am today. So I would go back to when he was a young man. Okay. I'd go so back. I, go. I, I mind deal on this one a lot because I'm very curious as to what's going to happen, but I almost don't want to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, if I go 150 years forward and, I, and I'm in the middle of a desert because everything's been nuked, it's like, uh-oh, did I really? Right. What am I doing here? What, what's going on, right? Yeah. So I kind of mind you on it. I, I think I would like to go see the future, but if I had to do one or the other, I would I would go back. And again, it would be you know to the you know, Boston Tea Party or, or something you know that 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 I can really see what's happening and smell it and vision and, and just be part of it. And, and say, yeah, you screwed up on this. You screwed up on that. You should have done this. <laughs> right, right. But, I got, I got to tell you, Tom. There's, there's. I think back about all the guests that we've had. We talk about going back. There are a handful of guests that have just pulled me to the edge of my seat, <laughs> like you have in this interview, and, and everything from the beginning. Literally from the beginning, I'm like, wow, this guy is so fascinating. Here at the end, the questions you posed to us, we've never had that before. I'm just like smiling. <laughs> so, so I'm saying all to say that, Tom, this interview has been incredible. I hope our listeners and viewers on, on YouTube get as much as we got from this. Um, the book, yeah. Tom, the book has got to be I guess the book has got eventually, eventually. I just never really thought it was interesting. I just have just lived my life, so, you know. Yeah, 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 and, and when it, when it does, we definitely like to, like to have you uh, ha have you back on. Oh yeah, sure, be happy to. Tom, thank you for being on. Thanks for responding to the invitation, and this is a great way to kick off twenty twenty four. You bet. I appreciate you guys having me on.